Hello, I am Cody Allingham and this is the Transformation of Value podcast. Today I talk with Tikahukura Boynton. Tikahukura is a young wahine studying law and running the blog and podcast Maori Millionaire, documenting the journey of learning about financial independence and empowerment for Maori. I think there is an important opportunity for Bitcoin to empower and connect all of us, and as an antidote for the fiat culture war that is taking place in New Zealand and globally. It was great to share a little bit about Bitcoin with Tikahukura and to discuss how it can help bring about better outcomes for every New Zealander. If you want to get in touch with me, please send an email to hello at the transformationofvalue.com and I will get back to you. I do hope you enjoy this episode. If you would like to support the show, please consider streaming some Satoshis via your favorite podcasting 2.0 platform such as Fountain or Breeze. Otherwise, on to the show. Where are you based at the moment? Um, I'm living in Hamilton. Are you originally from Hamilton? No, I grew up in Napier and then I moved to Tokoroa and then I moved to Hamilton for uni. Oh. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, excellent. I, um, I actually grew up in Hawke's Bay myself. So, oh, did you? Uh, yeah, yeah. And that's your Hastings or? Oh, actually, Paharakeke, Flaxmere, but... Oh, um, really? But, yeah, but not, not many people are familiar with it, so I just say Hastings. Um, but I grew up <laughs> there and then I was out in Pakipaki for a little bit. But, oh, um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's funny though because you don't see that many people who get out. Um, and so sort of, you know, because I, I left and I, I was traveling and did a few other things and, and you come back and it's it's humbling you know, because I still have a lot of family there um, to just sort of see, you know, and to reconnect with the, those roots. But Yeah. How long have you been doing your podcast for? Um, well, I started the show um, late last year um, and it's really received a great, um, uh, I mean, a lot of support from, from various people. Um, and I was doing another show before that sort of during the COVID era, looking at just creativity and, and kind of doing your best in the situation we had. Um, but that sort of wound up and I've started this one um which has been really, as I said, really well received, and um, it's opened a lot of doors to talking to different people and um, and that. But you're you're also running your own own show as well, right? Yeah, the Modern Millennial Podcast. Um, so I started mine about probably actually twelve months ago now. So um, yeah. And what was the impetus for that? Um, I guess when I moved to uni, I I had been kicked out of home. I had no money at all, so I kind of um you know budgeted my way, saved my way out of that situation, um and figured it was like a great opportunity to just start a conversation about managing money. So, um yeah, I started firstly on first on my blog. Um, I've I I think I started blogging when I was like fourteen, um and none of them ever kind of took off. Um, but this one, I guess I tried a bit harder and, you know, implemented some strategies and it's um, like yours, it's it's gotten some really good feedback. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's um, certainly, I think, really important that we talk about this because I certainly didn't uh, learn anything about financial literacy growing up in Flaxmere and I certainly didn't learn anything growing, even at university or high school. So, it's like, you know where where are the the gaps in this? Because I, I feel like it's something that you you pick up from your family and those around you. Um, and I mean, I was lucky; my parents ran ran a small business, so I could kind of learn a, a little bit of that stuff. But um, really, you know, managing money, um, managing your future um, is is already a challenge. And then there's more challenges on top of that with cost of living, inflation, all of this. Um, I mean, where where does someone even start? Mm, totally. It's it's a big conversation, I guess, but um, I'm happy happy I've I've started, and I guess I get to have these conversations, which is really cool. Yeah. Um. 
I mean, looking at it, so um, Māori Millionaire is, is your is your um, your website and your um, your podcast, and you're looking at sort of documenting uh, this journey of financial independence and empowerment uh, for Māori individuals and communities. Um, you know, obviously, money plays a critical role in our lives, and understanding how to manage and grow that can um, really help us uh, achieve success. Um, in your experience, and I guess with your um, your background and growing up, I mean, what did you find with some of the common challenges that people face when it came to understanding money? Mm, I guess for myself, it was that we are quite um, quick to jump to the status quo. So a simple nine to five job, it's, you know, what everyone else is doing. So we just do it as well. But I think for a lot of Māori in particular, we have higher rates of actually having like more financial dependence as compared to non-Māori. And so we actually generally need more money because we're supporting more people. So the, you know, normal route of a nine to five isn't even, you know, a realistic way to get ahead for a lot of Māori. So um, I think that's probably the biggest thing is just kind of our mentality about what money is, how we make it and how we actually manage it. What, what does money mean for you? <laughs> Is the podcast starting? This is yeah, some good- that's good stuff, eh? <laughs> um, I guess for me, it's about opportunities. So um, at the moment, I'm studying my law degree. I'm about halfway through. But for me, money is access to a better life, a better, um, just a better anything in general. So I grew up, my mum was on the on the benefit and we, we barely had any spare money <laughs> floating around. Um, but now I'm, I'm financially supporting myself. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I, I mean, the same with myself. I mean, I was, as I said, grew up in Flaxmere. Um, it's a pretty low-income area if people don't know, but um, my yeah. parents ran their own business, and so I, I did learn some some good fundamentals there. But um, certainly trying to, to get to a place where you're, um, you know, because it can be very expensive to be poor. Um, mm. And, you know, you spend money, you buy stuff twice, you buy um, low-quality items, that sort of thing. There's yeah. a lot of research on that. Um, but also the decisions you make. You know, I was very lucky. I was the first person um, uh, in my family to, you know, go through to university, um, do a bachelor's degree and that sort of thing. And um, first person to really get out of of, of the country, um, out, of, out of Hawke's Bay. So that was, you know, quite fundamental. But then it led the, other, led the way for my brother, for my cousins, you know, other people to actually take – um, take that journey which just wasn't really an option before um, mm. you know kind of to see a pathway um, and, and you know also on the flip side I mean where Flaxmere is um, uh, also um, I mean there's a lot of pathways that are not so productive that people can take mm-hmm. um, especially with the gangs and so looking at the pathways money enables some of those things um, and as you say it's a sort of opportunity um, it also saves you time right it's like money yeah. is time if you've got the ability to pay for something um, you know, to make it to make a problem go away, to to fix things, to just you know, um, optimize your life. Money can enable that in a way that you, you couldn't do if you just couldn't if you couldn't afford it, then you just can't do it. Um, um, so yeah, certainly it's 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 opportunity. But I mean, beyond that though, I mean, looking at what it really means, the opportunity is what it gives you. But what the, the fundamental itself, like what is what is the money, New Zealand dollars, um, that kind of that actual, you know, currency, how, how do you sort of see that? What lens do you see that through? I see money as um, energy. So this sounds really weird, but I see it as energy and it comes and it goes. And depending on how you manage that energy, it 
can grow, it can cause burdens, it can make situations worse or better. So, um, but just financially, money is quite insignificant when you look at just money. Um, the value it provides can be really significant, but money on itself is just a means for trading. So it, by itself, it's it's just money. Yeah, I, 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 love what, I love what you're saying and I'm smiling because what you just said is something that we um, people in um, the Bitcoin world actually often talk about is money money as energy, Bitcoin as energy oh. because really, you know, the the, the medium itself, the, the, the New Zealand dollar really represents a transfer of energy, transfer mm-hmm. of value and even mm. the title of this podcast is The Transformation of Value mm. and sometimes you've got really good ways of doing that really strong strong ways and then you've, other times you've got weak ways of doing that and so the New Zealand dollar is kind of okay at the moment but if you look at the Zimbabwe dollar, if you look at the South African rand, if you look at you know different currencies around the world, they are no, they're no longer transferring energy. They've failed mm-hmm. and they've had either hyperinflation or the currency is just no longer accepted um, and I think that's a really, I mean talking about financial literacy, there's sort of the nuts and bolts of how to balance a, a budget and that sort of thing but Actual, actually, what is money um, is, is really hard to articulate. It's just not a paradigm that we have access to, um, and certainly in our education mm. system. Um, and to, you know, for you to say that it's, it's like energy, I mean, that really blows me away. Is something that's quite insightful mm. that you know you've come to that conclusion because that's certainly sort of how I see it. It's uh, um, it, it comes and it goes, and um, it likes to. Um, I mean, it's 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 a way of transferring value between people. Um, and that sort of transfer of value, um, uh, looking at the way it's mediated in New Zealand, um, I mean, it's certainly problematic. Um, and, you know, we look at the way the, the banks and the Reserve Bank work, there's some real challenges there because, you know, you've got this energy source, but it's not pure in the sense that it's losing six, seven, eight percent of its energy every year. It's sort of mm. leaking it out through inflation. I mean, what what's your take been, especially how inflation negatively impacts you know a lot of Maori communities? What's your take been on the, the inflation situation over the last couple of years? I think at the current point, the cost of living is so high it's unbearable, and that's caused a lot of harm for Maori communities um, or Pacific communities as well. I think anything that's struggling New Zealanders in general is going to disproportionately affect. Um, minorities in Indigenous communities, so Māori and Pacifica in particular in Aotearoa are suffering the most at this period of time, which is um, it's quite disheartening, I think, to see our people struggling to be able to, you know, provide the basic necessities for their children. Um, and it's something that I know as, as from a Teo Māori perspective, being able to provide is what our value is seen as, as individuals. You know, it's what we can do for others. And if we're not able to provide those basic necessities, that's a hit, you know, on us as a whole. So I think from that perspective, it's it's really challenging. But I think in, in total, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about inflation and what causes it and how it um kind of keeps on going up so I think a lot of people get really excited when minimum wage goes up I don't at all get excited when it goes up because it's just going to lead to more um so I think it's quite it's a it's a very big 
big problem at the moment, the cost of living. I obviously don't have all the answers. Um, <laughs> but... That's okay. I mean, I mean, I agree though with um, your sentiment that um, it is complex. Um, and you know what you said about the minimum wage. Absolutely. I mean, that's for the short term. Yeah, it feels good. You know, you're getting more money. But I remember when minimum wage was eight dollars, nine dollars, and mm. I feel like at that time I could have brought more with that hours of you know that one hour of my time was worth more than yeah. it, it, it would be today at that rate. Um, yeah. at, you know, at the minimum wage rate today, um, for example, and that's because of inflation. You know, you're diluting the money supply. And mm. I always say to people, it's like you've got a little thing of whiskey and you're watering it down uh, or co- Coca-Cola, whatever, you know, you're watering it down with by, by printing more of it. And yeah. that's not talked about in the media. Yeah. Um, I, I think there is beginning to be an awareness that there is a money printer, um, you know, kind of this colloquial idea. Um, but the mechanics of that are actually very hard for people to understand. Um, mm. And even I struggle sometimes with the complexities of it because it's a very bureaucratic uh, process. Mm. And I always say to people, I walk past the, the Reserve Bank every day up on the terrace and here in Wellington. Mm-hmm. And um, above their um, their logo there, they've got their their name, Te Putia Matua. And I always struggle with that because fundamentally what they're saying is, you know, we've got this this great gift. You know, we are the, we're, uh, how do you say, we're the custodians of this gift of, of money. But actually what they're doing is they're the ones printing the money. <laughs> And they're mm. diluting it, so they're not they're not looking after it. And I really struggle with this, um, I don't know, this sort of paradigm that the Reserve Bank and the government have got this kind of control over the money supply. Um, but it's just not it's not a discourse that's in the, in the media at the moment. Mm. Um, I don't know what's what's your take on that? Looking at you know what's happening with the interest rates, you know, like they they've just gone up fifty basis points um, recently, and of course that's going to affect affect people negatively. How can you how can you be uh, uh, a guardian, a custodian of 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 wealth when you're doing that sort of stuff? I think that's actually like puts the the problem just quite right there, and it starts off with the Treaty of Waitangi, really, where you know our sovereignty was. Um, you know, it's it's a really big issue because we don't have the power to control these situations, and this is what Maori have been fighting for for years and decades. Um, and the powers control our lives, and Maori and PI are those that suffer the most due to those. So, I think overall, it's um, something that really needs to be addressed like really quickly and I think there was something I read that it takes three generations or something like that to um, reverse kind of the effects even if you know we started implementing decolonization methodologies it would take a long time to actually see the results of that um, so when we look at like interest rates for Māori to be able to access home ownership, those would have to decrease significantly because one, we don't have the savings there to be able to get the deposit. And then two, our incomes are proportionately lower anyway, so we can't meet those mortgage rates. So I think overall, it's a very big problem that um, I don't believe would have happened without colonisation. We would have been able to um, continue living life as we were and operating under a Indigenous trading system. We didn't need, um, you know, all of this, <laughs> the the big bank of New Zealand. We didn't need these things. Yeah, no, well, well absolutely. Um, I mean, you're right, Takahukura. To, to like the 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 way we've got um, the system set up at the moment, uh, we can dance around it, right? 
and I mean, I'm here in Wellington and everyone, you know, I'm not, I don't work for the government, but I have a lot of friends who do and they all do their mihi, they all, you know, follow their, um, you know, their guidance on, on how to be um, appropriate, you know, in, in regards to the treaty. But the reality is that the whole system has um, uh, got some major problems in it and the ones that are actually important are the ones that no one's talking about and those are uh, the self-sovereignty of the money system. Um, really, at the end of the day. And I mean, I was having a good chat with um, Ben Jarvie recently who wrote uh, the article, which I might have forwarded on to you, um, around New Zealand's past, putia and future and looking mm. at the monetary system in New Zealand. And, you know, his sort of argument from that uh, article was that for actual um, uh, self-sovereignship of Maori, we really need to look at the Reserve Bank and and, and divest that of its uh, its its sole control over, over the monetary supply because um, at the moment they, they just do whatever they want. And, mm. you know, we can talk about other stuff, but the money supply being controlled by this, um, you know, this institution, I mean, that is um, definitely uh, against what was, was promised in the treaty. Um, and then I guess with your regards to, um, you know, in regards to the other kind of order of events, I mean, looking at the history of banking more generally and looking at, say, the history of uh, the Bank of New Zealand, its involvement in the New Zealand wars, um, some of the, the historical contentions around how money was used and how the business cycle was co-opted, um, basically to um, take advantage of, of, uh, of Maori. Um, I, I really learnt a lot from that, you know, for example, looking at how you know there's always these boom and bust cycles in the business uh, in the business cycle and you know making use of the bust cycle when maori are more likely to want to have sold to use that opportunity to buy the land for example historically um mm. that, that was you know certainly a strategy um and of course these all you know these these exist in the past but they have echoes through to today um mm. and, I, and i think looking at that though i mean obviously um, this is contentious and, you know, there's a lot of different opinions about this, but I think the root cause of it is that that um, banking system had that fundamental flaw that it was um, controlled by the Crown. Um, and, oh, I mean, there were private banks uh, as well, but, you know, and, and since uh, the Reserve Bank was uh, founded, um, it's been controlled by the Crown. And so, fundamentally, it feels like there's inequality there and, and sort of an unfair system. Mm. Um, looking here at another question I had for you. So, We've established that there's this idea that, you know, there's some, some challenges with the way the, the Reserve Bank operates, the way the government operates, the way they can run a massive deficit. They can um, basically spend all this money on stuff that doesn't matter and then it causes inflation, which affects um, low-income people uh, disproportionately. Um, looking at that, what do you, you know, how do you see, you're obviously running your podcast, you're trying to, you know, give some advice and, and some insight into financial literacy and how, how Maori can learn from this. But, I mean, what other solutions do you see? What other ways do you see that we can address this uh, this problem? We need um, more Maori at the table and in, in representation. And I think I would kind of refer to something that Simran Kaur says from Girls That Invest, and she says that she has an um, optometry um, background. She says if you want... Um, you know, Indians to actually see how to improve um, their health statistics, then you need an Indian there. And it's the exact same thing for Māori. If we want to improve um, outcomes for lower-income people, we need to have people who have a background of having low incomes. So having Māori at the table, having PI at the table, proportionately to um, our population, then 
we will see better outcomes. So I think that first and foremost um, needs to happen. I think a lot of um, redress and a lot of um, actual investigation into the inequities and outcomes needs to happen also. I think that overall there's a big misunderstanding that I guess from feedback I've heard from my podcast that Māori suffer due to our own um, our own failures and we choose the life that we live, which isn't the case. We have lower incomes and we have um, less successful outcomes in many different industries like the health industry or um, education because of systemic racism and colonisation and the impacts this has had on our people. It's not because of the decisions we make every day. Yeah, no, I, I I appreciate that. I mean, as I said, growing up in in Hawkes Bay, you know, you, you can you can see that and feel it. Though, I feel um, my my challenge with that is also, you know, we do live in, in quite a mixed country, you know, and and again, Hawkes Bay is a good example of that, where you've got um, Havelock North and Flaxmere, you know, five minutes drive from each other, and they're two sort of polar opposites. If people know those uh, those two locations, and yeah. um, looking at what it means, though. Why, I like. I wonder if there is is a deeper cause here that can be more unifying because I feel like uh, systemic racism, uh, you know, it's it sort of says that there's some failings that are that exist throughout the system. And is there a singular point that we could point at and say, hey, this is this is where this issue lies, that we could look to kind of go upstream from and and fix it. You know what I mean? Um, as opposed to looking at the entire system as, as a failure, like is there key points that we could identify or at least talk about, um, for example, the money um, or the banking system, that if we were able to look at those under a microscope, do you think there would be uh, places like that that we might be able to find some um, uh, some insight? Mm, I think it would. I think I work in the, um, for the White, well, I don't work for the Waitangi Tribunal, but I work for a law firm that does claims to the Waitangi Tribunal. And so we investigate these issues all the time. And I think they all start at the breaches of the treaty. And that's something that we can look at straight there. And when we look at the different um, implications of that, so we currently have um, four different inquiries that my office looks into, and these, this is the um, health outcomes inquiry, the housing inquiry, manawahine, and the justice system um, inquiry. So these all investigate how the breaches of the treaty um, affect us today, and I think that by thoroughly investigating these and actually um, implementing the findings of these reports, we would be far on our way to um, preventing some of the disparities and outcomes we see. Mm. So if we're looking at one point, I guess, in history for myself, it would be um, the signing of the treaty. There were two different um, translations of Te Tiriti or Waitangi. And when we look at international law, it says that the Indigenous um, version of the treaty should be upheld, but it's not in New Zealand. Yeah, no, certainly. And I feel that uh, if we look at... Um, these concepts, tino, ranga, tiratanga, um, self-governance, self-sovereignty, uh, um, there were some promises and some discussions made. And uh, Ben, again, Ben Javi gave me some great insight into this. You know, um, uh, King Tafio uh, went to, to England to petition the Queen um, to set up a Maori parliament, but also to set up a Maori bank. And, you know, sort of come back to this theme of, of banking and, and the money system. 
it seems like the the failings of that bank though were because it was a full a full reserve bank, uh, in the sense that every dollar that um, they lent out, they they could they could back it, um, and it lost out to the uh, uh, the private banks that were doing fractional reserve banking, and so there was all you know from the beginning there was this uneven playing field, and um, the Maori were not uh, you know before that they weren't able to issue their own money, um, and so they were always. Um, you know, on the back foot with trades. And so they were trading hard assets, things like land um, or, you know, goods like uh, flax and things for, you know, money, paper money. Um, and though originally the New Zealand, uh, there was British pounds floating around and then there were New Zealand pounds, um, that money was, you know, easily printed. Um, you know, you could set up a private bank and, and issue issue money, issue coins and notes, and you could start using that to buy things. Um, and in many cases, those were hard assets. Um, and so there was already, from the beginning, there was a sort of uh, this issue with with money that wasn't backed by anything. You know what I mean? Like it's, it seems that's that's quite quite um, quite an unfair system to to, to employ uh, upon people. One hundred percent. I think when we even look at land ownership as an idea of um, as an asset for building wealth. Um, pre-colonization or actually still today Māori don't believe in land ownership because the land is a resource it's not um, it's not a financial asset and so even when we look at that if Māori were returned the land that was stolen from us that would be one key point where we would see better outcomes for Māori Do you think um, looking at it again just the lens that I bring to it which is you know my own family which have a you know, a mixed background on both sides, um, looking at, um, you know, that kind of multicultural aspect of New Zealand today, obviously recognising there are historical injustices, but also looking to the future. Do you feel, though, that we could envisage a system where those inequalities in the monetary system and, and you know, coming back to the financial literacy and, and the, way, uh, the way money works if we were to be able to bring in uh, new thought, new thought leadership there, um, for example, for for something like Bitcoin, um, which ultimately is a peer-to-peer currency, you know, there's no reserve bank involved, there's no central banks involved, it's just a transaction between me and you. Do you think having systems in place like that um, would enable uh, future generations to actually um, uh, move on and develop um, prosperity themselves? Um, if we were to implement stuff like that today? I think there could be um, benefit in a decentralised trading system. And I think for... I'm quite wary of of new systems that are um, bought out, but I think there could be potential value in having a system where it's not, um, I guess, governed in, in New Zealand and it's, you know, an international... Um, means of trading. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious to just dive into that a little bit um, because I, I certainly that's sort of one of the major themes of this show is looking at Bitcoin in particular as a globally decentralised um, means of uh, transferring value peer to peer with no trusted third party. And something that really stuck out to me was, you know, how suited this would be. Uh, to Maori communities, and you know where where my father lives in Pudongaho, Central Hawke's Bay. There's um, you know a lot of you know cash economy. There's a lot of peer to peer trading going on there, um, just because of the nature of the place, and um, you know it's pretty far away from anything. 
Um, there's a lot of bartering. People trade firewood for meat and things like that. And it's a lot more suited to that um, that kind of uh, engagement and transaction. And for the government to come in and say, well, we're going to put 15% GST on every single transaction you do, um, it feels like there's something quite unfair about that because obviously that impacts low-income people a lot more. Um, what are the... What are the challenges that you're seeing or sort of the reservations that you have about kind of new currencies, new forms of money? Um, I mean, how, what concerns do you have personally about it? I think because it's so new, there's no real um, rules or legislation around um, how to protect minorities or low-income people as a whole. I think internationally there have been, but um, locally I think there would be, I would need to see a lot more um kind of legislation or drafting of this to be able to see, uh, have some trust in a system that could potentially work. Yeah, that's interesting you mentioned legislation though because one of the things that really stands out to me um, with Bitcoin, I mean it's been around uh, 14 years now, so first launched, uh, I mean the white paper came out 2008 and then the network came online 2009. Um, but in terms of trust, I mean at the end of the day, you, you set up a wallet, you know, on, on your phone or on your computer. Um, you send some Bitcoin to someone else who has a has a wallet or a, uh, or a device, um, and and that's that's sort of it. You know, there's the the tra- once the transaction's been sent, it's, it's finalised. You know, there's no cash, there's no chargebacks, there's no way to sort of cancel that. And so you do need to be very careful about what you do. But at the same time, there's no there's no where along that line where it can be exploited by a middle a middleman and so I find it curious that you talk about legislation but it's like it's the ultimate in self-sovereignty that it doesn't require the government the state and any anyone can run it you know what I mean so that it feels like that it's a quite I don't know, it's quite a, a big idea to take that on but at the same time there's no there's sort of no back doors there's no way for anyone to for the government for example to take advantage of it and that's that's the power that it seems to offer. Mm. I guess I'm quite new to this idea of um, different cryptocurrencies and things, but I think one of the things I have picked on up on is the um, high volatility that it has. And if we're currently seeing that there's, um, you know, it's not regulated, despite the fact that with regulations, um, Māori and PI haven't seen good outcomes, I'm interested to see how this could work without regulation? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And look, that is certainly a common question we got. And um, that's something I was, I was saying to you earlier, like the, it is confusing. And I, I, I'm the first to admit that, you know, there's all of these cryptocurrencies, you see them floating around and you see them go from zero to whatever. And and peop, it's, it's a classic get rich quick scheme, right? And mm. I think what I was, I was trying to explain earlier was that, you know, Bitcoin is different in the sense that it was the first one um, there's no central party that controls it. You know, a lot of these these crypto coins and and that they they have like a, a company that's made them. Um, mm-hmm. Well, they've got a group of people who have made them, um, who are quite centralised. Whereas with Bitcoin, you know, it is completely decentralised. There's no one in control. Um, and I mean, there's a bit of a bit of technical detail to it, but ultimately, it is fully decentralised, and so no one can change the rules. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the rules are the rules. And I think that's, I guess what I'm alluding to is, is you know, some of these historical injustices were because the rules were the rules, but they weren't followed. And what we now have is an opportunity um, for self-sovereignty. 
where the rules are the rules. Um, you know, you, if you send the Bitcoin to a, an address, it's gone to that address. You can't, you know, you know, shake your head and say, hey, actually, sorry, can I have it back? You, you, they have to give it back to you. Um, they have to can, um, agree to give it back to you. You can't just take it back. And I think themes like that, uh, when we talk about the treaty, when we talk about the historical relationships, it's because there were situations where we couldn't do that and things were able to be taken back. They were able to be, um, the walls of be able to, was able to be pulled over people's eyes. Things like that were able to happen. And so there was these historical injustices. But having a, a rules-based system that is decentralized, you know, anyone can participate. You don't have to sign up with your IID number. You don't have to sign up with your passport. You just start using it. It's something quite powerful, but also I can appreciate that it, it's, uh, it, it gives people pause for thought. Mm. Um, so, yeah, looking at, monetary system um, and how that can be, I, I guess, you know, and, and again, coming back to this article that um, Ben Javi put out, I, I was really just curious about how this might work. You know, you, you see um, these reservations and that this, um, you know, financial literacy comes into this as well. You know, I think certainly Maori uh, or, or any New Zealander could uh, look at crypto broadly, you know, and I'm doing air quotes here, but look at crypto and say, oh, you know, this is a get rich quick scheme. What's your perception been sort of coming at this from the outside? I know you're um, not necessarily super deep into the Bitcoin stuff, but like what's your take on the ecosystem and sort of what what knowledge is out there, what perceptions are um, and that sort of thing? I think from my perspective working in the um, financial literacy kind of industry, I see a lot of um, a lot of scams and things when it comes to crypto. So there's a lot of um, fears about the potential risks involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I haven't been able to see the same quality of um, reputable sources that kind of support that there are ways to do things without risk, as I assume there are. I personally don't understand them enough to talk about that, but I guess there is a lot of, um, even just on social media, um, information about about crypto being, you know, a, an easy way to make money or um, things like this, but yeah, I haven't seen the same level of information on the contrary. Yeah, no, look, and that's absolutely understandable. And that's one of the reasons I reached out to you and really wanted to talk to you because, you know, I live in, I, I mean, I, you know, I live in a world where I, I talk to a lot of these people and, and I um, engage with a lot of people who are um, interested in Bitcoin. Um, but it takes a long time uh, to actually really understand what it means because, you know, it's not just a, an investment. It's not just a, uh, you know, a, a get-rich-quick scheme. It's... Um, it's a, a new way to save. It's a new way to uh, conduct business. It's a new way to, to think. And if you look at, sort of zoom out a little bit and look at some of the structural issues that we're seeing right now with inflation, um, bank failures in the US, um, issues with the New Zealand economy, there's a lot of macro stuff there which um, you know I don't expect everyone to know about or to um, to fully appreciate, but it's there's certainly some ch- change in the air. And we're seeing that roll out now um, and what I'm concerned about is um, if we if we see more control over the, the centralized money system which we currently have um, are, mm. you, are you familiar with CBDCs is that something you've come across before so so CBDC so this is um, um, you know the classic um, uh, or this is the title of, of, of what Ben's looking at so CBDC versus Bitcoin so CBDC stands for central bank digital currency 
And effectively what it is and what it's trying to do is is do away with cash and to have a a centralized single system for all, you know, everyone to use uh, for their money, um, which is controlled by the government. And what that means is that if you've got, um, you know, for example, uh, benefit payments going out, um, that money, that set of of value that is um, earmarked for you uh, can only be used in certain places. Um, And they can really control the money in that sense, which they currently can't, it can't currently be done like that you know you've if you've got money in your bank account you can withdraw it as cash you can use it for whatever you want basically um which is i think the way it should be it's your money you should do what you you know you want with it um once it's in your account but cbdc's which are increasingly uh, emerging around the world as a a new way of doing things um really represent some major challenges because they really take control to the next level and this is something we've certainly been feeling. Um, the Reserve Bank has um, done a lot of, um, they've put out a couple of papers on this. They're actively working on on a CBDC. And I guess the future that um, myself and other Bitcoiners talk about a lot is, you know, a future where maybe that this is what's been, you know, people being forced to use this. Um, mm. And if they do something bad, the, the money gets turned off. And if you turn the money off, then people can't do anything and they get, um, they become downtrodden. And, for me, that's really concerning, and having an alternative to that, which is open, open source, decentralized, feels like it's—I don't know—it's it's like the, the right way to do things. If you know what I mean? No, I'm actually um, just learning lots as you're speaking. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'd certainly recommend. I'll send you a link later. But this, um, basically, what the Reserve Bank have done is—they is call it the future of innovation and private money. Um, and they're basically looking for a mandate to do this, and I believe they will try and find one. Um, as the current monetary system kind of runs its course and and, and, and what, what we would call the fiat system. So fiat um, is a word we use. Have, have you heard that before? No. So fiat was, is the, the way we describe money that isn't backed by anything. So it comes from Latin. It's sort of, the, it means that, you know, it's, it's willed into existence. It, 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 it just, it just, it's just so it has value. And so our money, you know, New Zealand dollars, I mean, I can, I can bust out a $100, $50 note. It doesn't, have any any value there's nothing attached to it it's just paper right and it sounds a bit silly right yeah but that's that's fiat money whereas in the olden days if you had a british pound it was worth a certain amount of gold and the olden days oh, if, you, right. if you had a us dollar it was worth a certain amount of gold and mm. that, uh, that that makes sense right it's it's like your it's an iou for for money uh, for, for actual money so actual money in this case being gold um yeah and we had that system for a number of years, um, historically. Um, New Zealand never did. New Zealand had New Zealand pounds, which were transferable into British pounds, which were then transferable into gold. Um, mm. But in the UK and in the US, they did have a gold standard. And so money was always worth something because, you know, gold is gold, right? Um, it's mm-hmm. good as gold. But the, prob- the problem we have today uh, is that our money's not worth anything. It's paper. And it's not mm-hmm. even paper. It's digital. I mean, is that, it's sort of making sense, right? It's, it seems a bit strange, but... That, yeah, that does make sense, I guess. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm coming at you with some big ideas here, but I guess what, or the way I see it, I should say, is, you know, money money should be worth something. You know, it shouldn't just be able to be printed because if I, if, if you and I have to work to make make some money, how can someone else then go and just 
print it and and will it into existence? How can a bureaucrat in Wellington say, all right, we're just gonna we're gonna just make some money happen, or how can a bank just say we're just gonna make some money happen without actually doing anything? That I think that's the fundamental imbalance that I'm looking at, and I feel yeah. if we can understand that problem, if we can understand how that inequality was developed, then a lot of these injustices that we see that are you know beginning to cause some major issues in New Zealand. I believe we can actually solve a lot of that and we can at least, um, you know, move forward and work together to make a better future for all of New Zealand. Um, mm. Because, yeah, ultimately the um, there's this phrase that uh, is, is quite popular, which is, you know, fix the money, fix the world. And I don't know, like, if, if we can't have a good guardian, a good kaitiaki of the money through the Reserve Bank, who's, who else is going to do it? What if everyone took guardianship custody custody of their own money and looked after themselves i feel like there's you know and what if communities started looking after themselves i I feel like there's something quite powerful in that where if you empower the individuals then you empower the community and you kind of have this grassroots development yeah 100 percent. and i think that would be ideal my only reservation is the fact that you know there's so many people who aren't competent to manage their own money and in those situations i can't be assured that there are you know individuals who would take care of those individuals who couldn't yeah so when we look at, um um you know even disabled disabled maori who don't have any advocates for them who yeah. would manage their money yeah, absolutely, and I, I think I, I appreciate that. Like I'm, I'm able to say this from my office in Wellington and talk about Bitcoin. But what does it mean for people who haven't had the chance to learn about it? You know, who's going to teach them? I mean, there is obviously an opportunity to to provide um, educational uh, advice and, and insight for this. Um, though I think the technical challenges are probably less than they may seem on the outside. Like you don't need to understand how it all works. You just need to know that it exists as an option, um, mm. and I think that's that's what's really powerful is that it, it it's an it's an alternative to this current system which is kind of it, it, I mean it works you know oh it doesn't actually work but I try, I had to buy something today and the FPOS machines didn't go but um I had to use cash <laughs> but um, <laughs> um sorry um but like to know that there's a, an alternative um and I think that's what's really powerful um I'm just wondering. Do you want to do a little experiment? Can I? Can we try something out? Sure. Have you? Are you on an iPhone or an Android? Um, iPhone. All right. So what we're gonna do? Um, if you go, if you open up your iPhone. Yeah. Um, and go to the App Store. Yeah. And go Wallet of Satoshi. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like a light, lightning bolt sort of icon. Yep. Got it. And if, yeah. And if you open that up. Cool. And it's got. Yeah. Oh, okay. install it. Yeah. And. Yep, it's just loading. Yep, it's downloaded. Sweet. So um, if you open it up, does it say, say receive and send? Uh, yes. So if you click receive. Yep. And um, has it got like a QR code looking thing? Yep. Yep. And if you if you show um, hold that up to the camera, um, uh-huh. you might have to yeah, just hold it still for a second. Boom. Did that just pop up? Oh, yes. Payment received. Okay. How much did it? How much does it say? It says about six dollars. Yeah, yeah. So six dollars US is about ten dollars New Zealand. So Kilda, I just sent you ten dollars. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, you're welcome. So Very that was, good transaction. That was twenty thousand satoshis. 
So well, one Bitcoin. Yes. So do you know how many Bitcoin there are? No. <laughs> so there's, there's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin. Um, and then every Bitcoin has 100 million Satoshis within it. So think of it like the, like a dollar, dollars of cents, you know. So most people aren't probably going to have a whole Bitcoin. Um, currently, it's about 30,000 US dollars for a whole Bitcoin. But most people are going to transact using Satoshis, which is a smaller unit for measuring mm-hmm. Bitcoin. Um, so I just sent you 20,000 sats, we call them. Um, over the Lightning Network. So there's Bitcoin, but it's sent over the Lightning Network and it's totally peer-to-peer. You now have, the, you now have that money. Um, if, if you want to send it to someone else, you can do that. You want to send it back to me, you can do that. But it's yours and it's yours only. There's no government involved. There's no third party involved. What we've just undertaken is a self-sovereign uh, transaction um, in the way it should be. Um, it, we, you can't stop that transaction. You can't censor it. Um, you can't do anything to stop you and I transacting because if we're going to trade, then it means we're probably not going to fight. You know what I mean? And there's something quite beautiful about that, but it's also such a big idea. Um, I think it can be quite daunting for people. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean, how, how do you feel about that? Well, I guess I'm surprised. It was definitely, I've never done a transaction like that um, as quick. I actually was buying something off my friend during Easter weekend and I transferred it on what was it? I think Friday and it was lunchtime today and she sent me a message saying it still hadn't come through. Yep. I, <laughs> I just sent you 20,000 Satoshis over the internet by you just holding up a QR code to the video and you've now got them instantly and forever. That's pretty mm, cool, right? Definitely. And so how, how do we spend them? So that's the thing. Um, at the moment where we're at is we're in the adoption phase of a new form of money called Bitcoin and there's a few places in New Zealand that you can spend Bitcoin, you know, consumer consumer places, restaurants and cafes. In fact, there's quite a few. Um, Christchurch is a, is a big one for these kinds of places, but there's a few in Wellington and, and other places. At the moment, though, what it is, is it's a store of value. So money mm-hmm. goes through a couple of phases. So um, the first one is, is collectible. You know, it's kind of curious and interesting. People just, you know, start holding it. You know, gold, for example, it's shiny metal. It's it's nice. People want to hold on to it. Mm. And then the next phase is that you actually start using it as a store of value. You start just, you know, holding it. You don't intend on spending it, but it's a good way of holding your value. Um, and then you start using it as a medium of exchange, you know, using it to buy and sell things. And then finally, you start actually measuring uh, transactions, transactions in that unit. Um, and so we're at the kind of the, the store of value stage where if you buy Bitcoin, uh, though it, there is volatility, which you alluded to earlier, the price goes up, the price goes down. Over a long enough time frame, if you're looking over a period of, say, three, four, five years, the price always goes up. Um, and that's mm-hmm. because of some fundamentals um, around the way Bitcoin works. Um, there's a fixed supply. It's not like New Zealand dollars where they can just print more and more and more. <laughs> Yep. And you and, and we get 7% inflation because of that. There's only ever going to be 21 million Bitcoin. And uh, currently, there's a bunch that are lost and we haven't quite got the full 21 million yet. But um, basically, what, what's out there is what we've got. Um, and that's all that we're going to have. And so, you now have a, a, a percentage of a fixed supply of the world's future money. Um, and there's something really powerful about that. And if you hold on to it, you can build uh, some real, uh, you know, real financial wealth. And I think that's what really excites me is that there's an opportunity here 
um, to actually co-opt some of the imagery that the Reserve Bank plays with. They they have Tane Mahuta in their lobby. And if you've seen a, a kauri tree, you know, it's got this sort of like cone and the seeds. The seed of, you know, a little bit of Bitcoin, if you wait four, eight, 12 years, I mean, who knows what it's going to be worth, but um, certainly going to be worth a lot. And I think that's what really excites me. I don't know, like, what, what do you have any thoughts or, or ideas about that? I think that is really exciting, I guess, um, to be able to hold um, financial resources like that. And even just the idea that, you know, my ID number's not in there, I think a lot of people have um, are scared of, you know, big government organisations like IRD or Study Link or whatever it might be. The fact that we've done this kind of without them is a really interesting concept for me, um, which I'm definitely interested to learn more about, I guess. I've definitely obviously heard of crypto and stuff. I just have never um, thought of it from this kind of perspective. So, yeah, thank you for no, sharing this. No, I'm a very stubborn person, so... Um, you can pat yourself on the back because I don't listen to anyone. So no, no. Um, that's all right. Well, look, well, I mean, what we're doing, what we just saw was Tino Ranga Teratanga. That's self self governance, self sovereignty. There's no IRD involved. I just mm. gave you, I just gave you some value because I enjoy your time and I appreciate your time. And that, for me, that's what it's about. And um, if you hold on to that, and um, I can give you some um, tips later to just make sure you've secured that properly. But um, if you hold on to that, just, just due to the way the system, the, you know, Bitcoin works, there's, there's only ever going to be a fixed amount. And so as Bitcoin goes up in value, which it will as it begins to consume the world's, you know, fiat currencies, um, that little bit that you have is going to be worth more and more. And But the thing is, you, as you learn more, you'll be like, oh, actually, I don't I don't know if I want New Zealand dollars anymore. You know, like, and it'll, it's a transition that we're going through. Um, and it, I mean, this is what's really, I think, gets me passionate is because I see an opportunity here for Maori um, to not only um, you know address some of these historical injustices but to actually thrive and um, build you know new new forms of wealth new communities um, new self-sovereign um, uh, businesses and things like that and I think you know there's a real opportunity for iwi to adopt this sort of thing um, you know and if you look at the analogy of, of the you know the seed of the cult the, the giant kauri you know, if you put in a little bit today, and if you look at the way Bitcoin works with the halving schedule and, and a few other technical details, which mean that over time it always goes up in value um, as relative to fiat currencies, um, it's very prudent, I think, for Iwi and Maori to look at this as an opportunity, um, not necessarily as a, um, a replacement for the New Zealand dollar right now. You know, you can't use it for everything, but certainly as a replacement for saving. Uh, in New Zealand, you know, New Zealand bank accounts, which if you're saving, you're getting 2% interest and it's 7% inflation, you're losing 5% every year. I mean, that's certainly going to be um, affecting people, you know, who maybe cannot afford to get into assets like houses. Um, mm. I mean, that's have you found that like people trying to save money in bank accounts or, or things like that? Yeah. And I think there's a kind of lack of understanding about how to invest to prevent leaving your money in a bank account um, or fear for leave, leaving your money anywhere other than a bank account, um, even when there's supporting evidence to show that it's probably best not in your bank account. Well, the thing is, as well, as well as like, why should you have to learn how to do sharesies and how to do um, hatch and all of this stuff? Like, all I expect is to work hard, work, do a hard day's work, 
put my money in the bank and that it's not going to lose its value. Why is that too much to ask for? You you know what I mean? Um, And it feels like even for my my parents, I don't know about you, but like, they, they, you know, they could like at least put the money away and then they they get a bit of interest. But now it's like, that's not even possible. Um, And so that leads to the financialization of everything else. And so we've got house prices is going through a million, million bucks, you know, average house price. We've got cost of living going up. We've got all of these things that are sort of symptoms of, a failing monetary system, but no one seems to be really asking the big questions about why that is. Um, mm. And I think, you know, as I said, you know, at the beginning, you know, coming from this sort of low-income area, I can see that it's like when you're in that place, when you're in that debt trap, when you're doing higher purchases on on stuff, and you know, you're just trying to make ends meet. You don't have the mental capacity to even think about, oh man, what am I going to do on the stock market? It's like you just want to put your money away and have a rest, right? You've done a hard day's work. And I know your your podcast is sort of trying to help give some insight and knowledge for that. But if there was just something like Bitcoin that you can just buy and hold, don't have to think about it, and then you come back to it a year later, five years later, and it's worth more and it's preserved your purchasing power and your your energy that you talked about before. I don't know. I feel like there's something quite powerful about that. Yeah, I could definitely agree that there is um, something powerful about that yeah. potential. Thing. Yeah. So I think, I mean, think at a high level looking at um again you know coming back there, there is this thing called crypto out there um which can lead a lot of people down the wrong track i believe um primarily because it's not a fixed supply it's not decentralized it's kind of run by a bit of you know some scammers and things like that and it's very similar it seems like it's similar to bitcoin um and there's a lot of negativity towards bitcoin and a lot of that's challenging because bitcoin doesn't have any company there's no centralized um, institution and so it doesn't always have the ability to fight back in the media and so it kind of gets picked on a little bit but at the end of the day it's been running 14 years it's gone from basically zero to $30,000 US uh, per Bitcoin you can buy just a small amount you don't have to buy a whole coin as I said before one Bitcoin is 100 million Satoshis um, I just sent you 20,000 Satoshis like $10 New Zealand um, that value if you look at it over the long enough time frame, it's always going to go up as people start thinking, hey, I don't want to be part of this anymore. Um, and I think that's what really excites me is that I can see my fine hour back home. I can see my family actually getting into this, um, putting a little bit away, even a hundred bucks, you know, put it away for four years, see what happens, you know. And I think that's something that can really give me a lot of hope for New Zealand um, alongside just general financial literacy around, you know, budgeting and things like that as well. But um, yeah, that's my, my take on it. No, that's awesome. I've learned a lot. No, all good. Well, hey, look, um, we've, we've discussed a few things. Um, I, I got you onto Wallet of Satoshi. Um, we've talked about um, sort of some of these system, systematic issues with the, the monetary system in New Zealand, some of your um, your background. Um, uh, if people want to follow your show, your work, kind of what your, your journey, um, what, what's the best way for them to, to do that? Uh, yeah, so I've got Instagram at Māori Millennia with an underscore, same with TikTok. Um, or if you just search the Māori Millennia podcast and blog, um, it will come up on Google, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, um, or anywhere you stream your podcasts. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I actually, I, 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 I stream my podcast um, th- uh, through um, uh, a place called Fountain as well, which is quite cool. People can send little bits of Bitcoin to me as they listen. So um, it's quite a cool little idea as well. But um, oh, I feel like we've, um, I'm just conscious of time, but I feel like we've covered it quite a lot today. Um, what we would do well 
uh, to do uh, to Kahukura would be to come back uh, at some point in the future and do another show. I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts? That sounds like a really good idea once I've got some um, uh, more education about this. And I yeah. think I a lot to learn. I think I could add some um, better insights with yeah. that. And the reason why um, I, I want to do that is because I know you're, you know, you're doing really well, you're doing good mahi to uh, communicate these um you know the, these concepts um, through a podcast and that, and um, there's a real opportunity, you know, to be an educator here. Um, I feel that if you can, I mean, I, I have my show, which is uh, I guess more focused on the transformational aspects, but in terms of the nuts and bolts of, of um, you know empowering Maori communities and um, you know New Zealanders uh, through Bitcoin and through other um, you know financial literacy uh, advice and education, if if you could, um, you know share a bit of that with your listeners i feel like there's some real value there um to i guess help them find the right way because there is as i said a lot of challenges for people who don't know anything about it they might fall down the rabbit hole of um you know some of these crypto scams that are really not productive for anyone um and if i mean maybe if there's something that you were able to take up um share with your audience um i I feel like that could be really powerful for new zealanders you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Thank yeah. you so much. No, no, no. Thank you. Hey, um, I really appreciate it. And I'll, I'll put your details as well in the show notes so people can follow along. But I do hope we can catch up again soon. Yeah, me too. All right. Thanks. Kia ora. All right. Thank you. Kaikite. All right.